First of all, uh, the worship was awesome. If you guys don't haven't missed a beat, or if you're in here yet, you guys did an awesome job on that. Uh, I think uh, the title of my message today is "The Offering is Where the Increase Comes From." Every time. And <laughs> I'm going to try to get through this. The spirit, I get tears. I'm a big man, but that's what happens. So don't. So if this is going, if this is on the internet, I I don't want to. Yeah, I didn't admit to that. Um, you have to kind of start out with uh, what my purpose today is. I'm taking a teaching that's this big, and I'm going to try to condense it to 15 minutes. So if it's a little choppy, at the end of this presentation, I'm going to give you a site that you can go to so that you can fill in the blank. I hope that if I tantalize you enough to go, you know, scripturally this was on and his story is on, you'll do the next step and go get the information because you can't take what I tell you today and stick your foot in the Jordan. You need to get educated. If you're willing to do that, it'll massively change your life, which means understand this. Whether you work for somebody or you're self-employed, and I'm so proud of you. Whew. I can't help it. I'm sorry. I thought I was up here because if I got gas, then I could be far enough away from everybody. So, okay, now I feel better. I had to tell a joke. I had to say something. I get, I get teared up because I know how faithful God is. And when you hear our backstory, you'll understand that, you know, it's, it hasn't always been this great ride and you have all these riches and you drive a Corvette and you get all these wonderful things. There's, there's stuff. And uh, so for me, let me give you, I'm very humbled to share with you. I'm very humbled to be here. That I'm very honored that he asked me to do this. I, maybe I volunteered and he asked me. I don't know which came first. I enjoy this, though, because I want to help you, period. So if I say something to offend you, I apologize. I'm Italian. We say things like, you should do this and you should do that. So if you're Italian, raise your hand. Are there any Italians here? Okay. So we'll let you know a little secret. Either you are Italian or you want to be Italian. That's how it is. Okay. So, so if you just are willing to listen and not get offended, you might learn something here today that will really change your life. So who are we? We are a outdoor living company. That is a term that they use now on HGTV and when you go to the store. What that really means is we build private lakes for people, luxury horse barns, in-ground pools, huge waterfalls. Uh, anything you can dream up or you've seen on TV, our stuff is better. I, and that's the truth. And it's arrogant, and I don't mean it to be arrogant, but the difference between arrogant and confidence is about that much. Okay? And I'll tell you why we're the best at what we do. It's because of my people. I'm in an industry that has huge turnover. They never leave me until they retire. Now, why is that? Because we treat them like family. We bless them. My wife and I, in the early days, many times never took a check to make sure that our people got paid. That's a principle. Remember that. 
I started my business with a 21-inch Toro lawnmower, and uh, I pick it up off the ground, throw it in the back of my Ford Taurus sedan in the trunk, and I had 28 accounts. And it was so that I could pay for my way through college because actually I have a teaching degree, and that's what I started out with. Six years later, I had to make a choice. Was I going to stay in business or was I going to teach? Um, when you make moves in life, sometimes it might cost you something, or you might have to stick your toe in the Jordan and say, I trust you, God. Do you think there were a lot of fans saying to me, you're going to leave teaching when you have benefits, you're getting paid, and you actually you're really good at what you do, and you coach, and you're making an impact on kids? And I struggled. I'm like, I can't leave. I can't leave. My wife says to me one day, she says, Dan, she says, you make men out of boys. And that released me like that because all of a sudden I went, I can leave. So fast forward, all these years later, we do work all over the country. We have a division in Colorado, uh, and we do really, really big stuff, and the stuff is really cool, and I'm very thankful for the people that work alongside us. Why do I tell you that? Not to really impress you, but to impress upon you that I stand before you with actually no business training other than what I've learned in Proverbs, uh, the different organizations that I belong to across the country, and I occasionally get to speak at them, and everything you learn along the way, being in business 27 years, totally for 30 years. So you learn something along the way. So if you don't have any business background, it doesn't matter. Just follow these principles. You'll be fine. Um, okay, i got to switch hands so I can cross off things off my list. Let's see. I'm, oh, I apologize. I have to hit start. There you go. This is, hey, truth will set you free. Come on now. Okay. So why do, let's talk about the tithe. You need to get this. This is really important. Why do we tithe? Well, in the, in the tithe, what happened is if you look at John 10.10, 10, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, and this is the NIV, the thief comes only, only to steal, kill, and destroy. So how are we in the earth realm, us on earth, going to have anything? How are we going to fund God's work? How are we going to help people? How do we help our families? How do we prosper? Because you know that's what the enemy does, period. So God, obviously in his wisdom, said, well, this was God's answer. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, which reads, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, you've all heard that one, but here's two words that are critical. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now why? The whole tithe is 10%. If you work for somebody that's 10% of your gross, it's going to offend some of you. Well, wait a minute. Well, I took my taxes out of it. No. Your income and everything you have comes from God. That's the first thing you have to, you got to get to there first. If you can't get to there, then everything else I'm going to tell you isn't going to matter. So whole means, now watch how the enemy tricks you. 
let's say you have a great heart and you've been tithing 10% off the net. Do you know that you still don't get the protection that God has for you? Because the enemy tricked you. You gave 10% less, right? You didn't, you didn't give the 10%. You didn't even know it. He tricked you. So biblically, what God can do is when you get the hundred or the 10% tithe off of everything that comes into you, you get the protection. He puts a fence around everything you have. And ask around. Ask the people who've learned how to tithe. They think that they've got increase. What's really happening is they are not decreasing because the God has put a fence around what they have. This is a big distinction. You need to understand this, how this works. So when you understand that that's what God put in place to protect you, the pastor never has to come up here and apologize for asking for the tithe or for the offering because you know, hey, this is to protect me. God put this in place for me. Now, just think about it for a moment. I have friends from way back when that were saved way before me. They never tithe. They go, I can't afford it. First thing people do when they lose their job or when they have financial troubles, they stop tithing. That is a ploy from the enemy, period. It's a ploy for the enemy. It's to get you to stop tithing, and then you get in this vicious circle of a poverty mentality. You always, always pay your bills second. You tithe first. And you watch what God does. That's the legal protection. Okay, just, and I have, there's stuff you can look at that'll reemphasize that. Okay, let me just make sure I'm, I'm tracking here. Okay, a couple examples. These are simple examples. If, if you, we were in your home and you were going away on a vacation for a month and you locked all your doors except one, just one, right? You think the thief, the thief would still find the door that you left open? Don't you find it odd that in every TV show it's always the back door they don't lock? That'd be like the first one you should lock, right? And work your way to the front? Or how about, how about in your insurance policy? If your insurance policy lapses and you say, well, listen, I, I paid 85% of it, and they'd say, I'm sorry, it's lapsed. You're not being covered. Is that me? Okay. Another example of why you want to give the, ten, the full 10%. This came from my wife yesterday as I was preparing for this, and I thought this is really strong. Often when a financial challenge happens, the first place people look to save money is to stop tithing. What they don't realize is that by withholding the tithe, they've locked God out of protecting their finances while at the same time giving the enemy access to it. It often begins a long cycle of poverty. God's law is law. He is a gentleman and abides by the rules in his law, the word. So there's kingdom law, and, and if you don't understand that, that's a big deal. That's what happens in the spirit realm. That's where he can protect you. He protects your, it's not just money, it's health, it's your family, it's your kids. It's the things that are important to us. Bear with me, I'm going to turn the page here. Let me read you. Before I move on to the offering and what it does, I think sometimes people struggle with a prosperity message, and I think sometimes it could be how it's presented or what you've been exposed to. So I took the time yesterday, and I said, you know what? I'm going to find 
a handful of scriptures to read to you today. That's all about prosperity. So if you disagree, talk to God. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just being honest with you and upfront with you. So let's see here. Bear with me. Deuteronomy 8:18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Say it again, to produce wealth, okay? And so confirms the covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Bear with me. Third John 2 in the NIV. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And let's look at 2 Corinthians 9.11. You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity result in thanksgiving to God. You know, one of the fun things I like to do is when we go out to dinner, and I get this really nice waitress, and she always seems to be females. I don't know, the guys get locked out of this, but we, get, we seem to get waitresses, and God just kind of speaks to me. And I'll ask them, I'll say, hey, what's your biggest tip you got tonight? And they'll tell us, right? And sometimes they'll tell you about the people that didn't tip them. And then I look at Shelly and while well, we're eating and we figure out what we want to tip them and we tip them something that they don't expect, right? Well, they start crying. And then you start crying. And you're like, and they tell you this beautiful story. And it's always God. But isn't it, wouldn't it be cool if every time you wanted to be generous, you don't have to think about it? You just do it. You just do it. That's what this is about, what I'm going to teach next. Okay, the last one I'm going to say, Psalm 35, 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. Let the, uh, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Okay, so if any of you still out there believe that you shouldn't prosper and be wealthy, take it up with God. A lot of times I find that the people who struggle with this... Um, they're afraid to stick their toe in the Jordan and take a chance, and they fall back and go, well, uh, money is the root of evil. What they're really saying is they're afraid to take a chance, like this young lady did last week. Not all of us are meant to be business people, but all of us can stretch, and, and that's where we're going to go into the whole thing on offering. So the offering is where the increase always comes from. So if you want to prosper... You need to give offerings. It's where all the increase comes from. Because we've already established that your tithe just protects what you have. Again, it appears that, oh, I'm, I'm doing better because the enemy's not stealing from you. Oh, all of a sudden the car doesn't break down as much. All of a sudden you have, you know, everything just works out. And you get favor with your boss. And you get favor in the weather. And you get this and you get that. And it, that's what's happening. But if you want to take it to another level, you go to offering, Okay. So the offering is where you get to name your seed. This is powerful. This is what you got to get your head around. Naming your seed. So when you na name your seed, the first thing you have to do is if you're married, you need to be in agreement with your husband or wife. Now, I will tell you that Shelly and I haven't always been in agreement when I want to, when somebody has a need and I just, boom, go up there and do it. I've learned that the blessing and the prosperity comes with us talking about it first and then coming to an agreement on what that looks like 
and then God flows through it. And I could give you all kinds of stories of where God has just blessed us and blessed us and blessed us, and then we can bless others. So be in agreement if you're married. It goes from, we go from the earth curse system to God's heavenly system. So let's look at, do you remember when God multiplied the fishes and the loaves? Okay, so what most people don't realize is what happened was Jesus gave it up. He gave that up to the Lord. The Lord then could say, okay, you're not in the world curse system because Jesus was on the earth, right? And he was able to say, hey, I can take this and bless it and multiply it. Now, how did he feed 5,000, 10,000, 20,000? Everybody has a different view on it. If we have kids, if we had wives there, if whatever, right? But let's, let's just say 5,000. They, they fed 5,000 because God could take it and multiply it. That's what happens when you offer. God can multiply what you're doing. It may not always be money. It may be time. It might be with your kids. It might be something else. But the Holy Spirit will bring you. If, you, if the Holy Spirit brings you ideas, that's a blessing. That's the start. You may have made an offering, and God says, hey, go do this. Now you've got to stick your toe in the Jordan and do it. Because I think what happens, in, not in this church, but other churches I've gone to, what happens is they're mailbox Christians. So they're going to pray about it forever. They're going to sit here and talk about it. They're going to talk to all their friends about it. And they're going to go rehash it and rehash it and tell me about how it's not good timing. It's not this and all that. Guess what? God goes on to somebody else and says, here's an idea. Do you want this? If I could give you some advice, seize the moment. Seize the moment. If God brings you something and it's from the Holy Spirit, get off your butt and do something. Because you've got to move. You've got to do something. That's your responsibility. My, my family will tell you that I typically work 80 hours a week. Uh, I believe that I have a responsibility to do my part. And what you'll find in your journey, just like my journey, is God keeps promoting us and the jobs get larger, the opportunities get larger, the money gets larger. And I'm not just talking about what he's bringing to us. It's what I have to risk. Because, see, faith is really spelled R-I-S-K. That's what it is. It's, you know, faith, that's what faith, if you don't have faith, if you have every single thing planned out, and I'm not telling you not to plan, but if you have everything figured out, is that really faith? Or is that just you going, oh, I've crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's, okay, I think I'm willing to take a chance. There's a difference. I got two minutes. All right. You're in God's family business. We're Italian. You're in the family business. You're in a good spot. <laughs> All right? That's how it is. Just tr trust me. Believe me. When I was a bouncer and, and the mafia guy slid that big, huge Super Bowl-looking ring thing across the bar to me and said, well, I don't know if I want to be part of what they were doing. And I was quick on my feet. And I says, oh, we can't, use, we can't wear jewelry when, we're, when I'm bouncing. And I changed the subject because I knew exactly what that meant. I, I would have been in the family forever. And that wasn't the family I wanted to be in. Um, but you're in, you're in God's family business. And it's really important you understand that. That gives you, break off the shackles of, I don't deserve this. God is always good. Absolutely always good. Even when you mess up. Now, I'm preaching to myself because I grew up a Catholic, so I have to change that thinking sometimes. He's always good. He wants to bless you. 
absolutely wants to bless you. Because then you can be a blessing to others. And if you just understand these principles, all of a sudden, wow, this all starts to make perfect sense. And then guess what? I stand up here and tell you this. Well, again, my stuff that I'm doing is quite risky. Quite risky, but it doesn't feel that way because you can look at what God's done before that. And he always says, reflect back on what he's done for you, right? Okay, I'm going to close with this. Uh, let's see. I've got a couple examples here. So when you, remember I said to name your seed? So when you name your seed, when we first learned this probably not quite 10 years ago, uh, we wanted to sell our cottage. So in, in Wisconsin, lake homes are called cottages, okay? So we have a frame of reference here. And so I was all excited, and, and we wrote it down, and, and we, you know, we, we did Mark eleven twenty four. You know, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it's yours. We wrote it all down, and we sowed a seed. Never mind. It's a good story. <laughs> I had it set for 10 minutes, if you believe that. Okay. So we sowed the seed, and, and we actually said, this was on a Monday, we sowed the seed to our, to our church, and it was, again, it was an, an offering. And I said, okay, on Friday, so what, four days later, we're going to have the cottage is going to sell. It's going to sell for this much, blah, 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 blah. Now, the cottage had been for sale for three months. Nothing happened. And, of course, we got the offer on that Friday. Um, the devil tried to take the offer off the table three times from the buyer, okay? And the buyer finally got so frustrated that he just sold a bunch of stock and, and paid cash for it. <laughs> now, here's the fun part. You'll like this. You'll like my stories. This is a good part. So I thought to myself, oh, finally, this is the first year I don't have to put the dock in because the dock is a big process. So, of course, the new owner goes, could you help me put the dock in? And I'm like, sure. So I go out there in the afternoon, and I help this guy put the dock in, right? So he starts talking to me. He starts telling me that three months prior to this, which is when we originally sold our seed, and that was Labor Day weekend, that he bought this cottage in a canal, not on the lake like we were, on the canal. And I'm thinking, really? And he starts telling me when he did. It was exactly the time that I sold the seed the first time to sell that cottage. I had the buyer, but the enemy held him up. The buyer was there. Now, think about this. How many people do you know buy two lake homes in 90 days or under 90 days? What happened was him and his wife were canoeing one day and went by and saw my cottage for sale on the lake. It was exactly where he wanted to be, specifically on that road, on that side of the lake. It was so specific, and I, I couldn't wait to come home and tell Shelly and go, this, I mean, yes, he, we sold it, but you don't know the backstory. This guy was there already, and the real estate agent didn't tell him, tell him about ours. She sold him the one that she was listing, which was in the ugly old canal with green water and all that kind of stuff. But look at what God did. It, it, it got held up a little bit, but it still came. That's what I want you to learn from it. Last, the last message I'm, last, I think I'm going to share with you is, so recently we bought 157 acres in Wisconsin, and it has hills and valleys, and it's wooded, and it's beautiful. And I thought uh, God put it on my heart six or over six months ago, back in the summer, to buy land. And I couldn't understand why, but it was just so intense. It was really intense. So we went to look at this land, and it was actually to cross it off the list. Long story short, it ended up checking all the boxes. And 
we, and Shelly says, why do you want to buy land? I go, I don't know. I just need to buy land. I just have to. And I said, you know what? I'm going to build a complex. I'm going to build a private lake on it. We're going to put a house on it. And our grandkids and our legacy is going to be at this place. Now, I use the word legacy on purpose because that's what this is really all about. You want to leave a legacy. You want to use generational wealth to the next generation. You got to understand how this works. If you got nothing to leave them, you want to take them to another level so they can go to another level. That's where generational. And if the heathen do it, if all the people you read about in the papers and in the, on the Internet do it, why not us? Right? So we buy the property. We closed in November. And I, could, I was chomping at the bit. So I get this great big, huge excavator. And I can't wait to dig my lake. And I start digging. And guess what? I find gold, basically. I find beautiful Siesta Key sand. Now, you st down here, you're like, big deal, it's sand. We got sand everywhere. Well, in Wisconsin, we have clay. And if you have sand, you can sell sand. Now, I never knew that was in the ground, but God did. And by the way, I was on my way to look at three other properties. And the day we got there, after 15 minutes, I said, this is it. And Shelly said to me, how do you know that? I said, I know. This is the property. And remember, I was going there to check it off because it was the most expensive one. First thing God did is we sold seed and said, we're going to buy it for this much. They sold it to us for that much. And it was significantly less than what they were asking. And I share that with you because now we're looking for a buyer for all the sand. And they can dig my lake and pay me for the sand. Look at what God's doing. So the last thing I'll say is this. Since then, we bought another property, which we're going to put all kinds of campsites on it and buildings and structures like that and build another lake. And then we have a third opportunity we're looking at currently, too. So I only share that with you. Not Please, it's God. God gets all the credit. I want to make that very clear. He gives me the visions. But I share that with you to encourage all of you here. Because you know what? I don't know most of you. So if I've offended you, I apologize. If I've encouraged you, awesome. So we're going to get a chance right now to do something special, and he doesn't know I'm going to do this. Um, we're going to get a chance to, I don't care if you have a dollar, 50 cents, an earring, a piece of glasses, a watch, your belt, whatever you have. We're going to do an offering for that man right there. So truth be told, God always talks to me in the bathroom. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> he, he always does. I, my best ideas have always come in the bathroom. <laughs> and so yesterday I'm preparing for this and I'm in the bathroom and he goes, you need to take an offering up for Pastor George. But it's for all of us corporately to pray off this stuff in his body. So I'm just being obedient. I struggled. I'm like, okay, Lord, am I really supposed to do that? No, I'm going to do it. I'm bold. So we're going to have our normal tithes and offerings. We're, and you know what you're offering, so we're just going to put it all in together. And then whether you gave an offering or you just want to pray, we're going to come up here, and I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer so you get an example of how to pray when you do an offering so it can change kingdoms. I want you to get an example 
because I'm not willing to put up with this anymore. And he's the only Cuban guy I know. And I love him because he's, he was so concerned that I probably hurt you guys somehow. <laughs> so think about what you want to offer. Again, it's not the amount, it's the heart. It's over and above the tithe. Just think about it for a moment. It doesn't matter what it is. You can tie the hat, a bracelet, anything. God knows your heart. And then, Pastor George, can you come on up here so we can pray over you? And my baby, my baby girl, yeah. Where's Louis? Louis, come on up too. I don't know a lot of you, so I apologize. You want to come up too? Yeah, you want to come on up? Hey, Reggie. All right. Yeah. This is kind of the original family up here. They all want to be Italian. I told you that. All right. Hold your, hold your, uh, whatever you want to give if you're doing it online or whatever. Let's just it up and it goes it's just simple it's fast father god and i'm gonna let Alyssa get a chance in here too father god we just lift this offering up to you right now father god because lord it's all yours anyway and we're stewards of what what your money does and we just give you an offering for one purpose right now lord so that you can take that money from the world curse system and you can put it in the heavenly kingdom and it changes kingdoms and right now it's changing kingdoms father god that you can anoint george father god pastor george and right now like your word says in psalm chapter 30 verse 2 we cry out to you for healing in this man's body and we command right now healing in his body and this offering is for you to heal him in his body father god right now to heal him right now, Lord. We won't stand for this anymore. In the name and blood of Jesus, we bind you, Satan, your workers, your cohorts, and your demons off this man's health right now. And we command healing right now by his stripes. George's body is healed right now. It's healed in Jesus' name. Healed in Jesus' name. God, we just thank you that heaven rejoices on a day like today when your children learn the strategies of heaven, when your children walk in their identity and they understand the weapons that you've given them. So Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come together as a congregation. Lord, I thank you that it's your anointing that destroys the yoke. So we come together and we take our seed and our offering, Lord, and we offer it back up to you because it's yours anyway. So Lord, we say this will break the yoke of of physical bondage on our pastor. It ends today. We draw a line in the sand. It will never be the same. Lord, I thank you that we are a community that believes for more than what we can see and what we can reason. So Lord, we just thank you today by giving you this offering that this is a this is a line in the sand and today is a new day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. 
What's that? Oh, can you stand up, please? Okay, I want you to know that you can get all this information on Gary Kasee. That's K-E-E-S-E-E. He's got all the teachings. Please go online and find it, and you'll see everything from soup to nuts on there to help you in your life. Gary Kasee, and your pastor approved that, ministries, okay? Yes, wow, thank you, thank you. I, I want to just share this before we, you guys come up. I know it took a little long, and I'm still going to preach it. You give me to 12, 15 p.m., p.m. I, I, I promise I'm going to give you a word. But what, what Dan, first of all, thank you. Thank you, guys. That was unexpected and uh, really touching, really moving to me. What he didn't tell you, um, and I'm not going to because maybe there was a reason he didn't, but I've seen this family, personally, I've seen this family, particularly Shelly and Dan, go through some of the most insane attacks on their business and on their finances. And I, and I, I was waiting for you to say that. I've seen, I've seen un, uncommon attacks, like uncommon, okay? Worth half a million dollars of attacks, okay? I've, I've seen, and I feel the presence of God. They've never stopped tithing or giving offering. And the whole reason he's up here today is because three weeks ago he said, Pastor George, what did it for us was not just the tithe, is when I started giving the offering. It broke the enemy's back. And honestly, I got convicted because in the four years that we've been here, we're good in telling people about the importance of tithing, but we haven't, we haven't preached the whole gospel when it comes to tithe and offerings. Why? Because of what he said. I came out of... Uh, a bad experience of the prosperity gospel. So I actually leaned way to the other side and several years ago, God had said, no, 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 you're, now you're on the all the way on the other side of poverty, so you have to get back in the middle. And so I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you guys. And I, I want to just say right now, there's a way to give through the app. Let's do this real quick. You know what happens? And I, and I, and I say this, I wasn't planning on saying this. I believe not only... Uh, uh, faith comes by hearing of the word but there's an anointing hear me what I'm saying when marketplace people and there's others here you know who you are when they share biblically about the need for giving there's a special anointing that rests upon them to literally cause a culture of giving in that place what if we got so blessed because of obedience that we would have to say like Moses stop Moses, did you remember Moses says, don't give anymore? I want to be that way. Not because we're going to get boats and cars, but we're going to advance the kingdoms of God. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you for my friends. We thank you for the obedience of tithe and offering. Everyone who gives today, Lord, please let, let them not think this was manipulation for an offering. This is for their sake. This is obedience for their sake. Shift atmospheres and mindsets of years of, we, of poverty mentality today. And let us release what's in our hands so that you can multiply it 60, 30, and 100 fold in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You can get out of your seats now and come up and, and, and give your tithe and offerings. And let's go ahead and be obedient to the Lord.
Thank you, Jesus. I feel faith in the room. Come on. I feel faith in the room. I want you guys to get your Bibles, and I want to thank you. Thank you, uh, Joanne. I want you guys to get your Bibles real quick uh, and turn to, but we're not going to read it yet. Turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 3 through 6. We're not going to read it yet because I want to share some things. Now, will you allow me, I don't ask this a lot, but will you allow me to go to around 12, 15 p.m. today? Would you guys allow that? Okay, would you guys get mad at me? I know, I know some of you have plans, but just listen, for one day, would you just kind of bear with me in the word of God? Come on, amen? 15 minutes more is not going to spoil your day. Come on, say amen. Um, I want to just say this, that this principle is not just for people who are mature, they're for every person. My goal is that young people will get this and uh, teenagers will begin to tithe even if they get birthday money. <laughs> Right? Uh, and that, that's important. We want to be able to be spirit, soul, and body. But we never talk about the financial part. We only talk about the spiritual part. So I want to talk about today is the last day of our, our series uh, the, on anchors. And I, I kind of save the best for last in a sense. Um, how many how are many ready to receive the word of the Lord? Come on, say amen. How many excited about the word of the Lord? Okay. Half of you don't look excited this morning, but I'm going to trust that you are. <laughs> I, I'm going to be closing something um, and, uh, on a series that I've entitled um, um, Anchors. Now, I want everyone to listen because I'm going to try to rush for the next 40, 45 minutes uh, or less to try to give you this last anchor, but it's very important, and I want you all to get your Bibles out. But before I do that, I want to give a review because, you know, it, re it, it dawned on me, guys, that I have been preaching now for several weeks on our five core values. Everybody say core values. Everybody in here that has uh, their own Christian walk with the Lord or an organization of any kind, the way that you live your life or the way that you, you do business is all connected to your core values. And so I want you to see and hear this with me because uh, we talked about our five core values. I want to give you a review what RCC's core values are. It's going to be on the screen. If we could put that, uh, that first screen up there, uh, media team. Uh, our five core values, we're going to go through this, and it started back in uh, January or late January, okay, is number one. These are our five non-negotiables of RCC that we've identified as pillars. And I'm going to share a little bit about what values are uh, because I, I, I want to give you an appetizer before the great meal. Well, we had an appetizer. We're going to have a second appetizer <laughs> right now. Number one, a place of inner healing. So this is one of our core values, a place of inner healing and wholeness established um, by our full identity in Christ. Now, if you remember, we started off with uh, the story of Mephibosheth, and we talked about uh, the, the need for inner healing and wholeness, and there was great inner healing here. That was one of our main core values. That's why we have journey weekends, because we realize that some people uh, have uh, problems of unlocking wholeness in their life. Amen? The second one, we talked about community. If you remember, about three or four weeks ago, we, we, I preached on community. Then we had community. We, ha we had sandwiches for everybody, and I was so thrilled. Everyone stayed uh, about well after an hour after service, and we had community. And you know what? Out of that time, there was organic relationships that were birthed. That's what the, God, God wants community in the church, right? And that's how we talked about, and that's how I think we talked about, we sang Lean on Me that day, I, I believe, right? And then the third core value that we talked about was a church of discipleship. 
if you guys remember, discipleship and equipping. Why is that a core value? And I'm going to share a little bit what values are because we've been talking about core values, but I realize we never, I never explained what value is. And there's some nuggets about values that I'm going to tell, talk to you that which is life-changing. Why do we call them core values? I'm going to tell you why. Discipleship is a core value at RCC, and it should be a core value in every Christian's life. Why? Because discipleship making is the great commission. The Great Commission is not only evangelism, it's making disciples. And I got great news for you, it's not just your calling, it's a command. So it doesn't matter if you're called uh, to do that, you're commanded to make disciples, right? Where would you and I be if we weren't discipled in our lives? Come on. I, I look at, I look at uh, my friend Victor back there, and I remember when I was at OHOP, we had for about a year, we had a, a young, adult, young men's group. Remember, Victor? A married group, and we would just... Poor, we would just cry out together, and we would be in a discipleship mode. Every time I see Alyssa, she's so intentional. She's already a grown woman. Alyssa's like, hey, pastor, I want to set time for discipleship with you. It's just, it's just crazy. This is how we grow, right, discipleship. The fourth one, if you can look up the next slide, the fourth one, as we talked about two weeks ago, is a church of active outreach and evangelism. And we talked about this is one of our core values. And today we're going to end it up with a core value of the church that practices and values a culture of prayer. I got three amens on that. So that, that, th so that is our fifth core value. But I want to see, I want to show you what I wrote down, uh, what, what value is. Everybody say value. Everybody say value. Because that's a buzzword, right? Like, oh, the core value, core value. Okay, what is values, guys? Why, do I, why am I preaching on the core values? First of all, I've never preached a series on our core values. It's just been on a piece of paper, right, that we try to memorize. But let me tell you something about values. Values come before vision. As a matter of fact, vision is birthed out of your values. Come on, somebody. I'm your, your vision is actually, true vision is birthed from the core values. If, if you know someone's values, they don't have to memorize a vision. Because values is what you do on a consistent basis that everyone could see is the bedrock of why you do what you do in an organization and, and in your life. I wrote some things down. Your values are non-negotiable pillars in your life and in your organization. They dictate how you run your life how you run your organization, right? Um, we become experts in casting vision, but very deficient in values. Hello? We become experts in casting vision, but, but very deficient in establishing values. And, and so I, I say this because if they really know you, they'll let you, you, people that are close to you will truly let you know if what you're saying is a value is truly a value. Or just some smart, cliche, spiritual thing that you're trying to say over your life or over your organization or over your business. If I say, if I say we are a church that prays and you've never seen me in prayer and you've never seen me call a prayer meeting and you've never seen a culture of prayer, then it is actually not a value of my life. I'm, I may say it's a value, but true values are something that are consistently happening in you and through you and people see that. Come on, say Amen. Because what happens is, like, I remember in 2000, from 2005 to 2006, and this is how I'm going to start, right? The culture of prayer was incredibly activated in my life through an encounter with Pastor Carlos. Some of you guys are here, and he, he was like Moses. He went, and he saw, the, the, he got a 
really encountered by the Lord. And listen, from 2005 to about 2016, I sat in a room as a pastor, as a full-time pastor, and spent 12 to 14 hours in a prayer room. And I would lead uh, prayer watches on a, on a Tuesday morning for staff. And then on a Wednesday with uh, Joanne, uh, I, would, I would lead prayer sets on families. You remember that? We would pray for families. Every single Wednesday for two hours, I would be praying for families. And every single Tuesday in our staff, we prayed. And then I would sit for two hours. And let me tell you, it rocked my world until it became a culture of mine, a value. The reason why I am saying this is because um, when people look at me and they say, how can you say, how can you tell if Pastor George has a value system of prayer and not just want to say it because it's a spiritual thing to say for a church to pray? Because there's a lot of people that could preach about prayer and they don't have a culture or, about prayer. And they don't have a, a, a value of prayer. They just know the importance of prayer. But let me tell you, if someone were to ask you, well, how do you know that Pastor George values prayer? I would hope that by seeing me, they would say something like this. Well, Pastor George, as the lead pastor, lead leads prayer every single Tuesday. He doesn't just pass it on to his intercessors. It, that, that's still good as long as we have prayer. But I lead it. Or they would say something to you. They could say something to you like, well, Pastor George values prayer because they put an emphasis on Sunday, an hour before service, to pray in that room. We have a, a couple of intercessors, Kathy and Leah, that pray an hour before service for you. And we do that consistently. Or, the, or they would say, well, we, we know that Pastor George values prayer because, now listen, listen to this, because out of all the rooms in RCC, there's one room that could be dedicated for classes. One room that could be dedicated for multiplex. This is actually a nice big size room. But we dedicated a whole room for prayer, the prayer room in a, in a, in a local church. Another thing that they could say, and I'm not, this is not boasting, this is what people see because it's a value, not just something that I want it to be. It's a value for us, uh, is that we have a prayer group chat of almost 40 people that pray for needs almost every single day. Not only for RCC, but from throughout Florida. You, said, you have Lolita and all these guys, they're chiming in. Why, why do I say this, guys? Because I believe that one of the most powerful spiritual weapons that we can ever have as Christians is the weapon that God has given us of prayer. I want you to look at this scripture that is very popular, but I got a new light on it. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 6. And by the way, this is a, a core value of RCC. We added this onto now it's on our publications, on our website, it's on our about us. Look at 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now do you notice that it says, uh, uh, it says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I love that it didn't identify one specific weapon. It just says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Have you ever wondered what those weapons are? Have you ever asked, come on, let's be honest. Have you ever asked, God, what are those weapons? Because it's ambiguous. He didn't say the weapon of this, the weapon of that. He says our weapons are spiritual in nature. Let me tell you, one of the greatest spiritual weapons that God has given us of mass destruction. Come on, to the enemy. Weapons, weapons of mass destruction. Don't you, you got you got to hear the whole thing and don't edit me out. There's some people that will take clips of it. Let me tell you, the weapons of mass destruction given to us by God to bombard the kingdom of darkness is the weapon of, of prayer. 
It's the weapon. Everybody say it's a weapon of prayer. Look at this first slide up. Cultivating a healthy prayer disciplines. Look at this. Are like weapons of mass destruction from heaven given to every believer to overcome the devil in all darkness and to powerfully aid us at the same time. It's a key discipline and a key value, not only for our life, but in my opinion, of every church. This is my opinion. I can back it up by scripture. But every church needs to have a, a value system deeply rooted in prayer. Now, a lot of churches believe that because they don't want be, be, uh, to be seen unspiritual if they didn't include prayer in there. In their, in their bulletin or in their time. But it needs to be more than just a meeting. It needs to be a culture. It needs to be a culture and it needs to be a, a value. The reason why people don't go to prayer meetings anymore because we have viewed prayer from the context of a meeting instead of viewing prayer from the context of a culture. We have viewed prayer in the context of a one-shot meeting instead of a culture. And a powerful man of the faith, uh, a father of the faith, actually one of the main fathers of the prayer movement for the last 30 years said something like this. He said, Christians have occasional prayer meetings. Muslims have continual prayer culture. Christians have occasional prayer meetings. Come on. And Muslims have consistent prayer culture. I'll never forget one day. It's embedded all in their, in, their, in their clothes and everything. I remember years ago when I was at Orlando House of Prayer, me and Pastor Carlos, we were in the McKee Street, which is one of our first places. And I remember he said, look, George, look at this. And he was so frustrated. And it was 12 p.m. lunchtime. And behind us at that time, uh, there was, I think it's still there, is a, is a Muslim mosque. And it was filled to capacity with cars, listen, listen, on a work day. And they were there to clock in for prayer. And even as a house of prayer, I remember he said, I'm frustrated because even as a house of prayer, we couldn't even get 20% of the people to commit to prayer. And we serve a living God. It's an indictment to the church when people could serve a dead God and come to that meeting and it's full to capacity and we serve a living God and we have five people showing up for prayer. If you were to ask people privately a, a, a poll, if there was a poll given privately, a survey that no one would see and the question would be, what do you think is the, the hardest or your weakest discipline in the Christian life? I would dare to say that 90% of the Christians would probably say the discipline of my prayer life. My, my discipline of my time with God privately and my time with God in prayer, listen, uh, publicly. This is why I am sharing this with you because uh, when we get to that place of prayer, we've got to realize that it needs to be more than the context of a meeting. It has to be part of you. I'm going to say this boldly and lovingly and smile and cut you at the same time, right? Here it goes. Here it goes. The reason why some people, some may not come to a corporate prayer meeting because their private prayer meeting is not alive. Now, I'm not saying that all the time. I know people have work and I, have, I know people are, uh, 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 have some things to do. 
But let me tell you this. Other than people working and other than people have things to do, we have failed to see the importance of a corporate prayer, prayer gathering. Let me tell you how the church was birthed, church. The church was birthed in an upper room when people were praying and fasting and waiting on the Lord. The Holy Spirit had not come upon them yet. But I guarantee you they weren't planning for the next conference in Jerusalem. They weren't, weren't going to do the Shabbat conference and they were all planning for that. They were all praying and seeking God and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. That sound didn't come because God said they were cool, sweet people. That sound came because they activated heaven through their words and opened up heaven through their intercession. And the Spirit of God came. Yet, we, yet we, we have different expressions with prayer, but we don't do it. But look at the benefits of prayer. It, through prayer, we encounter God. We get fueled to do the work of the kingdom. We, we are releasing heaven on earth. We shift atmospheres. Through prayer, we can shift an entire atmosphere from dull to boring. But when we open up our mouth and pray, it releases and shifts the atmosphere and changes the world. Don't tell me that the weapon that God has given you in prayer is only for intercessors. I, I was trained in a big ministry and, and I was subliminally trained that the only people that should pray loud and should have a burden were the grandmas with the prayer shawls over their shoulders. I used to vision, well, that's not for me, that I'm the preacher, I have my own thing. And, and, and let me tell you something, God gave me a revelation years ago, and I've shared this before. But listen, intercessors are not five-fold ministries. And you're like, oh, well, that's great, it's not five. No, 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 that's actually a detriment to the church. Because the five-fold ministry, the Bible says he's called some. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Where is the intercessor? He didn't call some intercessors. He's only called some apostles. He's only called some prophets. He's only called some pastors. That means intercessor is left out of the fivefold ministry, which means everyone has a duty to be an intercessor. Jesus' job description in heaven right now, and this is very elementary, is he's seating at the right hand of the Father, ever, ever living to make intercession for us. That blows my mind. That Jesus is going to the Father and saying, Lord, I'm praying for George. Lord, I'm praying for Enrique. Lord, I'm praying for Dan Spaghetti as he gets up there right now. That, that blows my mind. That Jesus, the perfect son of God, is still praying for us now. Who are we to say we're above prayer? You're only as big as your prayer life. You're only as powerful as your prayer life. You, do you know who Leonard Ravenhill is? How many know who Leonard Ravenhill is? All right. Leonard Ravenhill, he wrote some powerful books. One of the books that I love is called when Revival, Why Revival Tarries, right? And he wrote something in there that is a gangster slap, right? In our side. Look, look at this slide. Look at this quote by Leonard Ravenhill, okay? Uh, and I want you to read. I've said it before, but it's never been on the screen. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said, Sunday morning attendance can mostly reveal the popularity of the church. Midweek Bible study attendance can mostly reveal the popularity of the subject being taught or the teacher doing the teaching. Prayer meeting attendance can mostly reveal the popularity of God. 
Sunday morning reveals the popularity of the church, the culture of the church, the vibe of the church, the community of the church. I like going to church. Midweek Bible study could sometimes, attendance could sometimes reveal the popularity of the topic or the teacher. Prayer meetings, reveal, prayer meetings can reveal the popularity of God in that place. Consistent prayer life is essential. Only through a lifestyle of prayer can we receive the fullness of God. If you love God and you read scriptures but you don't have a prayer life, you are, I'm going to say this boldly, missing out on the fullness, on the fullness expression that God wants to release to you. There are things that God won't release in his love until we develop a prayer life and start coming to him. I'm going to share that with you at the end. But what is prayer? What is prayer? Look at this, look at this next slide up here. Prayer is this. Prayer is dialogue with God, both speaking to God and hearing his voice back to us. That's a little clue because prayer is not a monologue. We've made it a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. <laughs> let that hit you. Let that, let that be a revelation. We come to prayer. Keep that slide up. We come to prayer always talking and never hearing. We think prayer is, Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm contending. I'm contending. Breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. Amen. And we leave. And God goes, can I have the other few minutes of the day? Prayer is a dialogue with God, both speaking to God and hearing his voice. And having access to God so that God can specific have, sorry, ask us to ask God's specific requests for him to answer. That alone is amazing. Come on. How many say Amen. But how do we attain a lifestyle of prayer? You know, the Bible says in Th Thessalonians, you don't have to turn there. But in 1 Thessalonians, Paul the Apostle said something that most charismatic Christians misinterpret. He says, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Now, now I used to say, what is prayer, prayer without ceasing? Most charismatic Christians think that that is er mumbling every, every minute of the day, prayer. That's not what God is saying. He's not saying, hey, harvest, after we go to the service, we want to go and get some hamburgers, and then all of a sudden, we're going to get some lemonade, and then, and then we're going to go... That's not what Paul is saying when it says pray without ceasing. You know what it actually means? In 1 Thessalonians, prayer without ceasing is actually talking about a recurrence as a culture every day. Watch this. Not only when we are in need of him. True prayer without ceasing is not mumbling words every second of the day. It's having something consistent every day. Do you hear what I'm saying? And it's like, the, it's, it's, in order for us to understand that praying without ceasing scripture, I had to, I had to ask you that you need to learn how, what a culture means. And I look up the word culture in the Webster Dictionary. And I want, remember, remember what I talked about with values in the beginning? Look at this incredible similarity of the word culture. In the, in the Webster Dictionary, the word culture means, quote, the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or an organization. That's culture. I'm going to read it again. Culture is the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that, that characterize an institution or an organization or, or an individual. What are practices? Something that you do over and over again until that you become part of it. So praying without ceasing 
In other words, is establishing a culture and a value system of prayer. That's what prayer, praying without ceasing means. Unfortunately, churches all over the, the, the nation, they're really good at sermons. They're really good at even community. But they fail to have a prayer life. Do you know that we actually have a prayer life? Do you know that, that there's like a, almost a separate life on its own that we need to have called a prayer life? You don't believe me? I want you to see this. This is really powerful. I want I, I want you to see this because this, this this is really good. In Colossians chapter four verse two in the Amplified version, it's going to be up in the in the screen, right? It's going to be up on the screen. Colossians chapter four verse two says this: Be earnest and unwavering, and steadfast in your what? Prayer life. In your prayer life, being both alert and intent. That word intent is a root root word for intentional. In your prayers with thanksgiving. So be earnest, be unwearied or unwavering. And steadfast in your prayer life. Prayer life. Being both alert and intentional in your praying. Why is it important to stay unwavering in prayer? Watch this. Here's, here's the good part. And this is where I'm going to preach a little bit. Amen. Because if when we are unwavering in our prayer life and we are steadfast, then that weapon becomes an unstoppable force in our hands from God. When we remain un, un, unwavering, the power and the reality of prayer, watch this, becomes an unstoppable force that no one can stop. Come on, say unstoppable force. Come on, say unstoppable force. Look at this next slide. Or you can take a picture of it. Watch this. Look at this slide. Look at this next slide. Prayer is using our words, oh, praise God, to connect with an infinite God who has no, no limits. Therefore, prayer is the most unstoppable force in the universe. Listen, why is prayer the most unstoppable force in the universe? Are you, are you ready to shout with me? Because I could be here in Apopka and pray for someone in Russia and faster than the speed of light, they could experience the effects of my prayer and in us faster than the speed of light. I could pray here in Apopka over someone in China and at the speed of light, they will see the chains fall off of them. They could encounter God all because someone lifted up their voice and prayed. There is no distance in prayer faster than the speed of light. The person in China can experience chains falling off because a boy in Florida began to open up their mouth and prayed for them. There's no distance in prayer. There is no distance. Oh, thank God that prayer doesn't have some frequency wire that it goes through. Prayer goes from here to the ears of the Lord. And in a moment, in a moment, someone could get delivered. In a moment, someone could get encountered by God. While a grandma is praying, while a mom is praying in the house for the wayward child, in a moment, that person could be spared an accident. In a moment, they could be encountered by God. And that young person comes at three in the morning and said, Mom, I want to give my life to the Lord. Because someone prayed. I didn't know this, and it got me to tears. I didn't know this when I got saved. My friend Joshua, and I never shared this story. My friend Joshua led me to the Lord. He went to ORU University. 
and, and, and when he was in high school with me, he was a closet Christian, and he would curse every now and then. And he's like, hey, I'm sorry, you know, peer pressure. When he went to college, he got transformed. He wrote me a letter. Back in those days, you had physical paper letters, glory to God. Amen. We had beepers, and we thought we were cool when someone said, hello, I love you, hello, you know, the seven, whatever. And I had to go, you know, and, and call, like, hey, how you doing? And, 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 and he led me to the Lord, and I got saved right on the spot. Then he told me, he goes, George, you don't know this. I had my whole entire wing praying for you because they knew I was on assignment going to you to talk to you about the Lord. People that didn't even know me were crying out that whole week so that in 1990, when that man went on a mission to talk to me, he had hundreds of college students praying for George Sotolongo to say yes to the Lord. Why do you think I lead prayer every Tuesday? It's tiring. Yes, it's grinding, but I see the rewards. I cannot live without it. This is a non-negotiable. The engine room of every church is the prayer room. Woo. The engine room where you put the oil, come on, and the gasoline. In every ministry is the prayer culture of the ministry. You can have the nicest building. If you don't have oil and you have gas, you ain't going anywhere. I ain't talking about the gas that Dan talked about. I'm talking about. If you don't have the spiritual gas and the spiritual oil, I could beat you in my moped and you have a BMW. I don't have a moped, but I'm just saying. Listen, it's true. You can have 2021 BMW and have no oil and no gas. And I have all the oil in my moped and all the gas up to the top. And my little moped will go from here to Kissimmee and I'll be beating that BMW. Why? Because it doesn't matter how good it looks on the outside. If it doesn't have oil and it doesn't have gas, it's not going anywhere. You want to preach with power? Get a prayer life. You want to minister with power? Get a prayer life. What do you think is sustaining me during my affliction? My prayers. The prayers of the saints. Your prayers. I have one of the greatest communities I've ever been. I've cried not because I'm in pain, because I have, but I've cried because my community has fasted and prayed for me many times. And let me tell you something. God is doing something, even through my affliction, because I agree with Lolita. It's not just about me. It's what God is doing in our community. He's causing me to go through, allowing me to go through affliction, and the people of God, without me saying, are rising up and praying. This is amazing. God is good. God is good. The activity of heaven can be released on an individual or a nation when we open up our mouth in prayer. I said the activity of heaven. You know what the enemy used? The Lord revealed this to me. The Lord, the enemy seeks to silence you through pain. The, Lord, the enemy seeks to silence you through ruin or hurt. And the first thing that goes out the window is your confession and your ability to pray. If you, have, if you are hurt or you're mad at God, why would you want to pray to God? The enemy says to you, if I can't get them to the world, I'll silence them because I know if they ever open up their mouth in a contextual setting of prayer, it will discombobulate everything that the enemy is trying to do. 
we have power. Do you know that when, it, when, when Jesus said, I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Do you know that that's not talking about dialogue? He's actually talking in the context of prayer. When you're praying, when you bind, I will bind in heaven. When you loose, I'll loose in heaven. Let me tell you, the keys of the kingdom are connected to prayer. You could quote that all, all day. The keys of the kingdom are not given just so that you can have a louder voice or an extravagant voice. The keys of the kingdom are not true keys unless it's connected through prayer and intercession. Prayer, look at this next verse. Are you getting something this morning? It's the result of God's established authority structure between heaven and earth. Look at that. Prayer is the result of God's established authority structure between heaven and earth. And, and I'm going to close with this. I want to see if the, uh, the worship team could come because I try to, I try to hurry for you. But I, I hope you're getting something this morning. I find it interesting, church. Listen to me. Zoom in to me. Look at me. I find it interesting that the one thing that the disciples observed of the many things that Jesus did and they were observing him intently. I find it very interesting that the one thing that they asked Jesus to teach them was not walking on water. And they saw Jesus walk on water. They did not ask Jesus to teach them how to cast out demons. And they saw Jesus cast out demons. They did not ask Jesus to teach them about how to heal the sick. Because even that's something that God told them that they would do. Out of all the things that the disciples saw Jesus doing. Everybody listen to this. They, they said, teach us one thing. Just one thing. Teach us how to pray. Now watch, 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 watch. I'm going to share something with you that I never saw. I never saw. I saw it, but I never really saw it. I don't know what that thumping noise is. Some, some, I don't know. Somebody has uh, access to a microphone, but uh, it's okay. Um. Watch this, watch this. Out of all the things that disciples asked uh, to be taught was teach me to pray. Now listen, look at me because I'm closing with this. I'm closing with this. In Luke chapter 11, I saw something, guys. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 in the New King James. Put that up there. Not, not, not watch this. Worship team, you can start playing something in the background. Now, now, now watch this. I, saw, I used to know this, but I never saw the first verse there. Watch this. Now it came to pass... Here, here, here's what I want to say to you. Look at me. As Jesus was praying. Look at the timing. This is beautiful. The timing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray wasn't when Jesus was eating a sandwich. It wasn't when Jesus had some downtime and they had a, a, a Q&A discussion time, which I'm sure there was at times with Jesus the Bible says they approached Jesus as he was praying in a certain place in other words Jesus was leading by example watch this he was leading by example when he stopped praying one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples in other words we've been observing you for quite some time now 
And there's something about your connection with the Father that we want. There's something about your life that even though you walk in these miracles and even though you walk in this power, we know that the secret to your power, Jesus, is your relationship with the Father and your prayer life with the Father. So I just finished seeing you that you're tired and you're praying. How do we pray like you? And of course I love what the answer is, is when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And lastly, there are certain things, I'm skipping a lot because of time, that the Lord desires to give us that he won't release until we ask him in prayer. I'm going to say that very boldly. There's things that he will not release until we open up our mouth in prayer. Just because it's a desire and God knows your desires, he's actually waiting for you to open up and say it. Do you realize that there's certain blessings that won't come to you unless, even though he knows that you need it, unless you open your mouth and ask. And that's actually how God protects our relationship because he waits to answer you for you to come to him. In other words, he's like, I'm not going to release this answer until you have a relationship with me. I'm not going to release this answer until you come to me. But you know what I need. I know what you need, but I'm waiting for you to say it. I used to say, God, if you want revival, why don't you just wave your hands and do it? That's why he said, here is the condition. If my people. It's not a condition, uh, unconditional. He says, I want to heal the land. I want to forgive your sins. But unless you don't come to me, my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and seek and turn from the wicked ways. Then, 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 in other words, if you don't do this, I won't do this. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will heal the land. And then I will forgive you of your sins. Look at this last scripture in Isaiah as I close. As I close, look at this scripture in Isaiah. I have a lot more, but, but, but because of time, I know I'm not going to keep hearing any longer. Oh, people who dwell in Zion, in, in, listen, in giant as Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you. Are you ready? When? 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 At the sound of your voice, are you ready for this? When he hears it, he will answer you. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. He will surely be gracious to you. Amen. He's going to be gracious to me. He's going to be gracious to me. That's a pro promise. He's going to be gracious to you. He's going to be gracious to you. When? When he hears your voice. Then his grace will abound even more. Listen, when he hears your cry, he will answer you. How about Jeremiah? Call unto me and I will show you, respond back to you. Great and mighty things that you do not know. What if we turn this service into a prayer meeting? What if, what, if, what if we turn this time of worship into a time of crying out and believing that by faith we have the weapons of mass destruction from God? What if we started praying for the greatest needs of our family right now all together? What if, what if, listen, what if we began to pray as if God were actually releasing answers from heaven while we pray? What if the Bible says it's true, when you pray, believe that you already have it and you will receive it. You have to start acting like you have it before you have it so that God could release it. And it's linked to prayer. Come on, let's stand up. Come on, let's stand up all over this place. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. Come on.
everything we got, worship team. Listen, I want you to lift up your hands right now. Come on, I want us right now, you know what the altar call is? As we worship, in just a few seconds, I'm going to ask you to think about your greatest need. I'm going to ask you to think about the, the, some of the greatest personal requests that you have for your personal life, for your family and your friends. And I want us together as a church to open up our mouth and release the mass, the weapons of mass destruction over the kingdom of darkness. You want to, how many want to shift some atmospheres in your home? How many want to shift your atmosphere in your workplace? Here's some news. Get an hour early and start praying in, Holy, in the Holy Ghost in your office and begin to release the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. How about the wayward husband? When they're not there, put some oil on that, in that blanket and put some oil. I know that's old-fashioned. Put some oil in that pillow and begin to pray. And God will start encountering him in dreams and start crying. Why? Because there's power in prayer. And that's one of our cultures. Come on, I want you to lift up your hands right now. Before we leave, come on. I want us to believe again in the power of prayer. I want you to believe again. If you're convicted about this, it's okay. Say, God, I need to come back to prayer. I need to establish a prayer life again. I, I realize that I've gone months without praying. I've gone days without praying. But the Lord says, it's okay. Just pick it up today again. Pick it up and stir yourself up to pray. Come on, stir yourself up to have a prayer life. Stir yourself to say, I know the importance. This is too valuable for me to shut up. Come on, lift up your voice right now. Lift up your hand before we dismiss.
touch someone in China at the same time, surely he could touch someone in our, our near vicinity. And, and surely he could change the atmosphere through prayer. Come on, on the count of three. One, two, three. Come on, lift up your voice right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come in agreement with every prayer request. Come on, you need to stir yourself up. Stir yourself up. Lord God, I pray that the prayers of the righteous will avail much. The fervent, righteous prayer of a righteous man will avail much. God, I pray in accordance to every prayer request, every urgent need, I release breakthrough in the name of Jesus. I release more healing. I release financial breakthrough in the name of Jesus, emotional healing. I release right now physical healing by faith. Lord God, I pray those who are bound, those who are afflicted, those who are hurting, those who have been wounded, even by church, that you would reveal the truth to them, that they will stop believing the lies, that they will be healed in the name of Jesus. Right now, we lift up our voice. We lift up our voice. We lift up our voice. Begin to pray for your own prayer life. Come on. Begin to pray for more oil. Begin to contend for your own prayer life. Yes. inject brand new life in our prayer life. I believe we all need it, Lord. Help us to be disciplined to wake up earlier than we can than we than we we need to to spend time with you. I heard a wise man and I'm going to I'm going to close with this. I heard a general of the faith the other day say, "I'm going to sum up how you should spend your day." He said, "Give your mornings to God. Give your afternoons to man, to men." give your nights to your family. He said, give your mornings to God. Give the rest of your day to your workplace, to, to, the, to the things you have to serve. And at night, give your time to, to your family. Let's, let's put prayer back as number one in our life. Let's put prayer back, our prayer lives. I encourage you, if this convicted you, come out on Tuesday nights and pray with us. Yeah, you may not feel goosebumps all the time, but I tell the people all the time that pray with me. I say, we're not here to just soak. We're here to partner with God to move the agenda of heaven on earth. Most people don't come to prayer meetings. I'll tell you why. Because they're there for soaking sessions instead of governmental sessions. I want to say that again. Most people do not come to prayer meetings because when they come to prayer meetings, they find out it's not a soaking session. It's a governmental session where God is including you as part of the, 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 the instrument that shifts things through prayer. If you believe in the power of prayer, let's start making it a value in our life and in our church. Show up to prayer and God will start changing things supernaturally. God bless you. We love you. Let's give a shout of praise to the Lord. Come on, amen. Listen, I know it's late. 
The worship team, make sure you, you start heading to the prayer room for your meeting. Greet about four or five people and come back to prayer next Tuesday and church next Sunday. God bless you.